Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash voices in my head. That's audibletrial.com slash voices in my head. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's audibletrial.com slash voices in my head. Give it a try today. Welcome to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of me, Rick Lee James. I'm a recording artist, a singer, songwriter, an author, a worship leader, and an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. The Voices in My Head podcast is your source for discussions on music, literature, movies, pop culture, theology, and more. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of the Voices in My Head podcast. And don't forget to let the voices in your head be heard by following me on Twitter at Rick Lee James and sharing your thoughts about today's show. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your sentinels lift up their voices. Together they sing for joy, for in plain sight they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Isaiah 52, 7-10 Welcome back to the Voices in My Head podcast. As always, I am your host, Rick Lee James, and I am really glad that you are here with us once again this week. We're going to be talking about public reading of Scripture today. Now, before you run off thinking, that sounds boring, I promise you it's it's not. At least it's not to me. Some new insights that I have discovered through a book actually called The Public Reading of Scripture have been so meaningful to me. And I think it applies to any of us who work in church work, and it applies to lay people, it applies to pastors, it applies to people who even just have, I think, a general interest in the Bible. And I think you're going to enjoy what I'm bringing today. I, I really find this to be um, a topic that I think is is needed in many, many of our churches and it's something that is very meaningful to me. So I hope that you enjoy the episode today. Uh, I started with the passage, How Beautiful the Feet, from Isaiah 52, um, because it describes the messenger who announces peace, the messenger who brings good news, the messenger who announces salvation, who announces and proclaims that God reigns. It is a messenger that calls us to listen and makes us to almost lean in and almost makes us to get on our tiptoes and, and peek over the wall and put our ears as close as we can because we want to hear the message that's being proclaimed. How wonderful it is when we get to hear that message. So I'm going to be using a book and I've been reading this book slowly. It's not because it's a hard book to read, it really isn't, but I just want to take in what it says and be thinking about it as a worship pastor myself and trying to figure out uh, a better way maybe to utilize the scripture in our services. So I'm going to be talking about Clayton J. Schmidt's book, that's, smell, that's spelled S-C-H-M-I-T, Schmidt, uh, in case you were wondering and wanted to look it up. 
I don't believe it is on uh, Kindle or any ebook at this point. Uh, you can probably find it like I did if you go to Amazon and just look it up. I think I found it very inexpensively as a used book. It came out in 2002 from Abingdon Press. Um, it's really a book that I think you would find is worth your time. It's designed for small groups and uh, other, you know, maybe even just like a home study, uh, possibly. But it really is helping us dive into um, the 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 vocation, I guess we could almost call it, of being a messenger, one who's being a herald, one who is the, the fleet-footed messenger, as the scripture that I read to open the show described to us, uh, a person who's uh, well, a messenger, you know, it was their duty to be the one who would run swiftly to anxious people from the battle to deliver a, a message of hopefully good news, or they would give a message of the arrival of the king or some kind of message. And whether it was good, whether it was bad, the people, the people were hopefully waiting on this message. And the messenger was so important. The message had to be proclaimed. And it was a very important task for the messenger. You know, I mean, it was it was probably the most important job you could think of. If you're a person desperately waiting on news, that messenger is probably the most important. important. I can't talk. It's funny that I'm talking about the messenger and, and I keep tripping over my words. It's no surprise to you who have been listening to this show, but... Uh, the person who the message is the most pertinent to, um, they find the messenger to be of extreme importance. And I think that we need to, to give some attention to the messenger in our church today. And uh, by the way, you may have noticed at the beginning of the show, speaking of messengers, uh, we have uh, a new sponsor, Audible, which I'm really excited about today. Um, I, I'm going to take a sip of my tea here, just one moment. Mm, I wish that Bigelow Tea would sponsor the show because I really like their salted caramel tea. But uh, anyway, you heard about the Audible book. It's a shame that this book is not available in audio, Audible, actually, because I think uh, it would be really great to maybe for people even just to ride along in their cars and listen to some of this. But what I, I plan on doing today as I talk about the importance of Scripture and the reading of Scripture in the church, I'm uh, I'm going to use really just the first chapter of this book, and I'm going to be leaning heavily upon what uh, Mr. Schmidt writes, Clayton Schmidt, in his book, Public Reading of Scripture. It's a handbook. We are going to talk about whose job it is to read scriptures in worship. If you've been listening very long to my show, you've probably heard me talk before about what a, uh, a shame it is that we have come to think of worship simply as a genre of music, or that we think worship is the music part of our gathering when we come together on Sunday morning to our churches and houses of worship, and we think that, well, the worship's done and now we get to hear the sermon or some other thing. Well, that, that's not correct. Worship is all of what we do when we gather together in the communal place on Sunday morning from the entrance to the exit, uh, we are entering into the house of worship, and there are different functions of worship that are happening throughout the service. One of the maybe most neglected functions in worship is that of scripture reading. Uh, we talk about the importance of scripture often. We talk about it being the, the bedrock of our faith, 
Uh, some of us Protestants uh, actually talk about it as infallible, and uh, many people almost put it up there with Jesus, um, you know, the, the written word being close to the living word. But whatever your theology about Scripture is, I would venture to say it's very important to you. And you would say it's one of the most important elements of our faith. And it's interesting that Scripture reading itself has kind of fallen out of fashion in our worship times, and as much as we say we revere the Bible, and as much as we say we have an emphasis on the Bible, it's amazing how little time we actually take in our services to actually hear from the Bible. And I wonder if one reason for that is we have lost maybe this task of the messenger. We've maybe um, lost the sense that the Word needs to be delivered well. You know, we expect a sermon to be delivered well, don't we? Uh, We pray and hope that our pastor at church on Sunday morning has put in some time, some hours in study, in preparation. And when they bring the word, we want someone um, who is a good orator. At least, you know, they don't have to be like um, the most amazing speaker you've ever heard, but we want to know they're prepared. We want to have a word that we can engage with in that way. When it comes to music, we hope that our musicians and our song leaders have not just picked out the music the night before or a few minutes before the service or maybe in some cases picking it out while the service is going on, just allowing the Spirit to lead. We hope that they've taken time to spend time with the music, to rehearse it, to present it in a way um, that will connect with us, hopefully in some way. So... If we expect those things out of our sermons and we expect those things out of our music, uh, two things that really, you know, there's really not that huge of an emphasis in Scripture about preaching. I mean, there's some for sure. Um, There's probably an even larger emphasis, uh, but it's not the main emphasis on music in Scripture. Um, But there's a huge emphasis on Scripture (laughs) in Scripture. Um, if you think of just the Old Testament, of just the Torah alone, the first five books, there's a huge emphasis on hero Israel. There's a huge emphasis on listening to the Word. And so the thing that Scripture itself tells us to do the most and to take the most care to do and the most care to hear is the thing that I think we do the, the least, almost, in our congregational gatherings. Well, one of the focuses of liturgical renewal in the past few decades has been to return to the sense that worship is a holy activity that involves all of us. It's not just something that's performed by professionals on uh, on behalf of the untutored. And, and the shift has allowed the clergy to step aside so that the various ministries of worship leadership can be shared by capable and gifted lay people. So it's not just the pastors, hopefully, anymore. Hopefully the, the reform has happened enough and is beginning to happen enough where we don't just see uh, pastoral ministry as something that allows us to just come and, and sit in our pews on Sunday morning and watch the show. No, we want worship to be something where everybody participates together. And so with that in mind, I think that there can be a really important role for lay people in the reading of Scripture on Sunday morning. Public reading of Scripture is an important part of worship. It really is. It ought to be performed with careful preparation. 
Now, in the book that I'm referring to today, Public Reading of Scripture, Clayton Schmidt, um, he talks about in chapter 1, uh, it's sort of a, a for instance about a person that at the last minute who was assigned to be the scripture reading, the lector, as we're going to refer to him, as the book refers to him. And, and I'm going to probably refer numerous times to the lector, the person who just who reads um, and presents the word to the congregation. Uh, the lector who was on the schedule, uh, I can't remember if he said they got sick, but for whatever reason, this person couldn't be there that day. And so the scenario that is set up in the book is that just as a service of worship is about to begin, an usher informs the pastor that the person appointed for reading the scripture lessons that morning has called in sick. So quickly, the pastor scans the congregation and he finds a replacement. Let's get Janet to do it, he says. Um, So... Uh, Janet's not afraid of speaking in public, the pastor thinks, so hurriedly the usher rushes off to inform Janet of her new duty this morning here in church and sends her to the pastor for hasty instructions. So the question that is being put forth in this book, should Janet accept this last-minute assignment by the pastor to read Scripture that day? I mean, the the urgency of the moment of needing someone to read the scripture might compel her to do that. But if she were to consider the matter carefully, she might choose to decline this uh, honored place in the service. Because the public reading of scripture is an important part of worship, as I said before, and it ought to be performed with careful preparation. So reading well, it involves certain skills that take time to acquire and to polish, And just as I've said before, just as in playing like an instrument, playing music, might be an organ prelude, might be uh, some sort of uh, music with your praise team, it might be, um, you know, whatever, just any kind of music you could think of that come to mind, you expect there to be some sort of polish on that when you come, that the the person hasn't just made it up. Uh, It's the same with the sermon. Probably even the same with ushering. You want your ushers to have some idea of what they're doing on Sunday morning. And it's especially true with Holy Communion. You don't just want to willy-nilly kind of, okay, we're having communion now, and then not give careful instructions and not have given thought to it beforehand. I've been in a few communion services that kind of went badly because there wasn't any thought given to how it was going to happen whenever the time happened in the service. But if the pastor were told... um, you know, that, or not the pastor, if a lay person was all of a sudden told that the pastor was sick today and we need you to preach the sermon, <laughs> you know, um, the lay person would, would probably freak out. But what if they were asked, like, use the pastor's notes and preach the exact same sermon last minute before service? I can't think of any lay people that would probably try that. Maybe there's a few people out there that would. But in a sense, the the author of this book lays out that that's sort of the situation we have with Janet. You know, has Janet had suitable time to prepare for this task of presenting the Word? She's not giving the sermon, but she is presenting the Word of God, which is a holy and honored task in our worship. So, if Janet were inclined to accept the invitation to read the Scriptures in worship, um, wouldn't it be appropriate for her to, to, to think through these things before and it would be appropriate for her to expect time to prepare for the reading and maybe time that she just wouldn't have. 
does Janet have a suitable voice for doing this? You know, is there a public address system that she's familiar with? Is there some sort of, you know, is Janet used to the sound system? You know, is Janet used to how to hold the microphone and how close to be to it and and how far to be away from it? Um, Does Janet have confidence to stand before the whole assembly and speak the word of God? It's not just that she can read well, um, but can she really stand before the congregation and sort of hold her own before them? Um, and does she have sufficient biblical knowledge? You know, does she know the background of the particular lesson that she is being asked to read? Are we asking Janet to, to go in blind on this? Um, can she interpret the text in a meaningful way? I mean, you almost have to have some background sometimes to know what's happening in the scripture. Um, and can she read in a way that, that really brings life to the scripture? All these things to consider when you're asking someone to read on Sunday morning. Uh, reading scriptures as a public ministry, whether you are a lay person or an ordained person, it requires certain skills and, and training and some, some particular gift and, and even a sense of call, I think. And that's what the author of this book lays out. And so it's really appropriate for us today to maybe think through um, the task that a lector has in service. I think it can be very important. I think it can be very meaningful. But I think we've probably all been in services where Scripture was not handled well just in the reading. Uh, I'm not referring to the sermon. I mean, we've all been probably in some bad sermons too in our lives. Um, But have we been in a service where we felt like somebody just really dropped the ball even with the reading of that scripture. So uh, what I'm going to do in just a few moments here, I'm going to take a quick break um, to play an ad for the sponsor of the show. And uh, and when I come back, I'm going to be talking about uh, some of the qualifications, some of the giftings that are needed for someone who reads public scripture. And I think it applies not only to scripture readers, but it can apply to other areas. It can apply to how we present our music on Sunday mornings and the people that we ask to be on the platform. Uh, But it especially applies to scripture readings. And I think it's just some considerations that we haven't thought about always in the past. So we're going to take a quick break and I'll come back in a minute and and continue in this topic of uh, spiritual gifts for the reading of scripture in public worship. For you, the listeners of Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Personally, I recommend The Hobbit Unabridged by J.R.R. Tolkien. Hours of fun listening to this great classic. And there are over 180,000 titles for you to choose from and to listen to on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. All you have to do is go to audibletrial.com slash voices in my head. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash voices in my head for your free audiobook. You're going to be glad you did. Thank you for listening to Voices in My Head and keep on listening.
Hey, before we get back into the show today, I just wanted to take a quick moment to tell you about some upcoming appearances that I have, and depending on when you are listening to this, hopefully you hear it beforehand, but next week at the time of this recording on May 17th, Wednesday night, I'm going to be in Centerville, Virginia. It's about 10 minutes outside of Washington, D.C. at the National Worship Leader Conference, and I'm going to be playing on the main stage in the evening service. Uh, it starts at, uh, I believe, 7 o'clock that night. I'm going to be appearing on the platform. Uh, with other song discovery artists like Steve and Sean Reed, A Beautiful Liturgy, Hector Jimenez, and uh, also Rick Muchow and uh, the National Worship Leader Conference Band. And also on the stage with us that night is going to be Paul Balash and Paul's son, David Balash. And if you've been listening to the Voices in My Head podcast for a while, you know Paul is a friend of the show, and I'm really looking forward to, for the first time, being able to share a stage with him. So I'm really excited to be a part of the National Worship Leader Conference, and uh, I'm just super thrilled to, to be asked to be a part of it this year. It's, it's an honor that I don't take lightly. Um, so if you're coming, if you're going to be at the conference, please let me know. Send me an email, rick at rickleejames.com, or maybe a Twitter message, and uh, my Twitter handle is at rickleejames. You know where to find me. I'm on Facebook, rickleyjames.com. I'd love to do some sort of a meetup with podcast listeners uh, if we have any there. And if we can find space, maybe we could even record a, a quick podcast. But that's May 17th and 18th. I'll be at the National Worship Leader Conference. Um, but the evening service on May 17th is when I will be playing. Uh, and guess what? That service that night is actually open to the public. So if you want to come, you don't even have to pay to be a part of that service that night. You can just come in and be a part. You don't have to be an attendee of the conference. So if you live near Washington, D.C., and you just want to come out and, and be a part of our worship night, uh, we'll have a great time together worshiping our King, and uh, maybe we can, can get together afterwards and chat. Uh, I'm also I'm going to be at First Church of the Nazarene uh, next weekend, May 21st, in Montpelier, Ohio. I will be at Rush Community Church in Eurexville, Ohio on June 11th. I'll be at the Veterans Park Amphitheater for When Springfield Sings on June 25th in Springfield, Ohio. I will be at the Hardin County Fairgrounds on July 4th in Kenton, Ohio. And I'll be at the Lively Amphitheater in Oak Hill, West Virginia on July 9th. We'll have some more dates to give you in coming episodes, but that's enough for now. So uh, hopefully you can go to rickleyjames.com. And I think you can go to rickleyjames.com. I believe it's slash schedule and see my schedule online. Or you can just uh, look up Rickley James schedule. I'm sure it'll come up in the search engine. Uh, and you can also book me through there, rickleyjames.com slash booking. And you can uh, find a connection to my booking agency that I booked through Pair Booking. So that's it for now with announcements and let's get back to it. Have you ever thought to yourself, man, I'd like to host my own podcast? Well, guess what? You can go to podbean.com slash voices and get everything you need to create, manage, and promote your podcast. I use Podbean every week for voices in my head. There's easy uploading and publishing tools, stunning templates, custom domains, social and promotional tools, an embeddable podcast player, monetization tools, and more. It is your all-in-one podcasting solution. With Podbean, you can create professional podcasts in minutes without any programming knowledge. Best of all, everything is mobile-ready right from the start. So go to podbean.com voices. And when you sign up, use the code VOICES and you'll get a sizable discount. Podbean, for your home podcasting. Thank you for listening to Voices in My Head.
All right, well, let's get into a little bit of what we mean by being called. And we're going to talk some about being called to being a public scripture reader and the calling of being a lector. And I'm going to share a story that's in the book by one of my favorite theologians, Dr. William Willimon, uh, professor at Duke Divinity School. I'm not sure what his title is now at Duke. I know he's back at Duke. Uh, it might just be the chaplain at the university. But at the time of the writing of this, in the early 2000s, he was professor um, at Duke Divinity School. And he tells uh, this story from the beginning of his ministry. And uh, he says, beginning ministry students... Um, sorry, I read that all completely wrong. It's funny that this is, again, a lector's uh, episode to talk about reading well, and I'm reading poorly. Um, but here's the story. Professor William Willimon of Duke Divinity School tells his beginning ministry students the story of a young seminarian who, during Willimon's days at Yale Divinity School, listened to a lecture on vocation by Professor James Diddies. Based on his research, Diddies had concluded that people entered the ministry largely on the basis of type. Seminarians primarily uh, seemed to be the people who had been what he termed little adults as children. They typically filled positions of responsibility such as crossing guards and hall monitors. And after the lecture, a young man sought out the professor and confessed that he was distressed at what he had heard in the lecture. He felt that the professor had challenged his sense of call to the ordained ministry. The young man acknowledged that he had been one of the little adults as a youngster that the speaker was talking about. Nonetheless, he felt that his call to be a pastor came from an external source, especially through the comments he had received from the elderly women in his congregation. When he relayed this concern to his professor, the professor replied, Do you think that God has stopped calling people into ministry through little old ladies? Why, that's always been one of the one of God's best approaches. I really love that story. I think it's important to realize that God calls us many times through other people. It's not just that we hear a booming voice in the sky and go, hey, God called me to something. There are people in our lives that I truly do believe are used as the voice of God to us. And at times we are the voice of God to others, and we actually get to bring a sense of calling to other people. Sometimes we can see those gifts. Uh, we can discern those things. And prayerfully considering those things, I think at times we can help people discover their calling by things that God is showing us about them. And so um, we can help our people to know when to accept a certain call to serve in the church, and when to decline a certain call in the church by being interested in maybe their particular gifts that we see and, and helping them hone those things and helping them find where their calling is. Now, I'm not talking about like taking a spiritual gift test and then you go, bam, that's me and that's my only thing I'm going to do in the church. I, I'm talking about uh, something that is in our, our lives that it seems like many of us have an, a natural inclination to do, that we are gifted in it in ways that other people are not. I wish I had like a radio announcer's voice. I think that would be awesome. Uh, but I just have my little Rick James squeaky voice. You know, it's, it's, it is what it is. It's probably not the greatest voice um, for radio or anything like that, which is probably why I make podcasts, because they probably wouldn't let me on the radio. I'd love it if they would, but uh, 
whoever they is. Does anybody even listen to the radio? That's the other question anymore. But announcers have great voices. But maybe that's not the thing that I have a natural inclination or a gifting to do particularly well. But there are other things that I feel like I am, and there are things that actually give me great joy and really give me a sense of fulfilling my calling. Um, Things like leading music for people and writing songs. I find that I, I find the joy of the Lord in those things. And it's not that I have the greatest voice. I certainly don't have the greatest voice. I can name just about any worship leader and point to them and say, you've got a better voice than I do, um, or you are more talented than I am. But people with talent and maybe more talent than I have, that doesn't always mean that necessarily they have a gifting or even a calling to that. I've sensed in my life since I was young that I had some sort of calling that had to do with music. Um, My general overall calling was to ministry, but it seemed like the Lord kept bringing me back to this thing that I love so much in that ministry, which is music. And it just seemed to be confirmed more and more um, by other people, not only by what I felt when I was doing the leading and when I was doing the songwriting, but it, it seemed to be confirmed by other people. And people who I trusted, people who I knew, knew the Lord. And so in in that regard, uh, scripture reading, I think, has a similar call in that manner. While we are all called to ministry, and while we are all called to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, I think there are some more specific callings involved. And some of us um, have these callings, some of us don't. Um, There are people that I have worshipped with for years that are wonderful Christians. They probably, uh, you know, I I might go to them first to pray for me. But they're sometimes not very good readers, and they wouldn't be the first one that I would ask to be the scripture reader on Sunday morning. They may not even be the last person I ask, just because they kind of stumble, and it ends up distracting more from the reading of the Word than helping. That doesn't mean they aren't gifted and they aren't called in some area But it just may be that public reading for them is not their calling, and it's not something that maybe we should encourage them to keep doing um, if if it's something that they are better suited for somewhere else in the church. So I want to get into uh, some of the gifts that I found so interesting. And uh, when we talk about lectors and, and some of the talents that we should look for, and maybe maybe talent's not the best word for it, but it is sort of a talent in some way. So there are eight things that I'm just going to focus on as we close in um, and move towards the last part of this podcast today. Um, And all eight of these things are in the book Public Reading of Scripture by Clayton J. Schmidt. And I, I think they're worth us spending some time on and thinking through. And again, I think this applies not only to readers of Scripture, I think it can apply to how we select people to be on many of our platform positions from music to announcements to just multiple things that we may do, preaching (laughs) even. Um, So here goes. Here's the first thing that is mentioned as sort of a qualification um, for what we might call native talent. Number one, a lector should possess a capacity and desire for studying the Bible. An important first step in reading well is understanding the background of the text and interpreting its meaning. So, uh, at times, it's also nef- uh, at times it's also necessary to craft 
um, a brief word of introduction based on study that you've done on the scripture and based on some of the context of a reading that you've been assigned to that week. And so in doing this, the flow of logic can maybe be explained better to the assembly of people. So that first thing that we're looking for as a qualification is a lector should possess a capacity and a desire for studying the Bible. Even though they're not delivering a sermon per se, it does help if they can understand the logic and the flow and and have this background with the scripture and have taken time to study it the week before they are up to read it. The second thing, the lector should be prayerfully open to interpretation of the text. Good interpretation is always a function of careful study and in inspiration of the Spirit. So they need to be ready to to give their interpretation of it um, whenever they're speaking. And, and that's the thing. They want to prayerfully interpret how to say something. You can read a passage and and not emphasize it in the right way and not give it the right interpretation. And honestly, you can make a joyful message uh, into a dirge or the other way around. You can make a, a message that's supposed to be sad and bleak and make it sound happy, you know. Um, I'll give a, a musical example of this. There is a song, I think it's called Jesus is Coming Soon, and no offense to any of you if you like that song. I'm not, I'm not really dogging the song, but I try whenever I'm writing a song to make the, uh, the mood of the song match the lyrics and sort of the sound of the song match it. And if you know that song, it's just real cheery. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. And then in the same cheery tone, okay, the next line is not cheery at all. Okay, Here, here's how it goes. I'm going to sing it with that next line. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will meet their doom. Trumpets will sound. Doo, 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 doo. I mean, it's like this real joyful thing. And you have to listen to the words and you go, wait, wait. Many will meet their doom. And you're just singing with a smile on your face and you're happy about it. Like, yippee, people are going to meet their doom. Um, so to me, that's an example of like, boy, I think you could have picked a different tone or a lyric or save that line for a different song or, or something, you know. So that's just me. But that's what I mean by interpretation. Um, music is a way of interpreting lyrics. Uh, it's a way of helping us express the, the words that we sing. You want music that matches the message you're trying to bring forth. So if the lyrics are your sermon, the music is the voice that you deliver it in. And so in this way, when we talk about interpretation, that's sort of what I'm talking about. Good interpretation of the scripture in reading. The third point that is made in this book about qualifications uh, for a lector. The reader of scripture and worship should possess confidence to speak boldly the word of God. It is humbling to be the vehicle of what Charles Bartow calls God's human speech, yet humility implies that the reader can proclaim the word with the confidence of a herald who knows the importance of the message. And that is so true. We need to boldly read the word. There are times where it will be hard to do that and you need to have a person with confidence to boldly read the words that are before us. Sometimes the words of Scripture are difficult, and they are not easy to bring with a boldness. Um, but moving into our next point that goes right along with it, the lector should have a clear, pleasant voice. Now, 
the pleasant part doesn't necessarily go with number three, with the, the scripture reading, possessing confidence to boldly proclaim the word, but having a clear voice does, and, and helping us to be clear about our message and to clearly proclaim it. So I, I've already moved into the, the fourth term about the lector should have a clear, pleasant voice. What we mean by that is a voice doesn't have to be like a voice that just makes you think of flowers popping up all around you, like that kind of pleasant, um, but a voice that, that resonates, a voice that, that we can hear. You know, the, you don't just pick any voice to be the lead singer on your praise team. You pick a voice that has some skill for it. You know, it's not that <laughs> it's not that you're turning it into a show. It's just a way of communicating the message. And again, it gets back to some people having certain gifts and some people not having those, having other gifts that maybe the people who have the good voice don't. So in looking for a scripture reading, it's okay to look for a pleasant-voiced person. Um, You can have someone that reads very well, but, you know, if they're depressing everybody by the way they read or if they have some real crabby-sounding voice, it may not be the best person to use for your scripture reader. Uh, Well, enough about that, The, the fifth thing. The reader, the lector, should have uh, vocal facility, the ability to utilize the full range of modulation, volume, and tone. Let me read that again because I read it poorly. The reader should have vocal facility, the ability to utilize the full range of modulation, volume, and tone. And the example that the author gives is, at times the reader may want to whisper. Be still and know that I am God, from Psalm 46.10. At other times, they may want to shout, as Peter did, I do not know the man, Matthew 26.74. There are times that different voices um, need to be brought forth in the passage. Different modulation needs to be there. Different volume needs to be there. Different tone. So that's just another important consideration when considering a scripture reader and 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 it's an important consideration for your lector to think about before they get up to read. Uh, and again, that goes along with music too. And sermon delivery, I mean all of this. Uh, it's things that are probably common sense, but I don't know how often we think through them. Uh, number six, lectors should possess liturgical presence. I really like this. This was something that really stood out to me whenever I was reading the chapter. We often talk about as musicians, a person having stage presence. And this is sort of the liturgical version of that. If you think not only in music, but in like theater, uh, then we'll talk about stage presence. And it's the ability to present yourself confidently and unselfconsciously and to use your body appropriately in the, the rendering of a part. And it involves knowing how to use your eyes effectively in order to use face and body gestures um, this is true, again, in music and sermons. You want to make sure that you're communicating things with your eyes. Um, there are people who play beautiful music, and whenever I was just learning how to play music, I was one of these people who would uh, would try to sing, and I would just shut my eyes and not look at anybody <laughs> whenever I was singing. And my parents, I think, were the first ones to say, because, you know, your parents are going to hopefully be honest with you, say, you know, you really ought to open your eyes and kind of look around when you're singing. I know you're trying to be prayerful, but it just starts to look weird after a while if you never look at people and you never make that part of your communication. So I'm I'm grateful they did that. 
Um, today I had an audition, and maybe I'll tell you a little bit more about it in the future if anything comes of it, but um, I was singing, and I, and I was very careful to make sure that the people I was auditioning for, that I was communicating with them with my face, not only with the words I was singing, and not only with the guitar I was playing, but trying to communicate through my face, and through looking at them, and making eye contact, and so things like that, this liturgical presence, it's it's a very important thing for us to have because we want to engage with the living word. So the reader needs to be a living person too, you know. We shouldn't just come and present it like a corpse looking down. It's true in music. One of the worst things um, musically is to see a person kind of looking down or shutting their eyes or not watching the congregation or, or not being a part of the congregation when they're leading worship on Sunday morning. Guitarists are bad about that sometimes. We look at the ground, we stare down. Um, you can imagine how well it will go over if a preacher looked down at the pulpit the entire time when they were preaching and never looked up at their congregation. There is a communication that needs to be happening from the platform whenever we are presenting the Word. And I think it's very important that we emphasize that to our readers, our lectors. Uh, two more things. The lector should possess the capacity for abandonment. I really like this one. Uh, the abandonment. This is the ability to lay aside personal concerns and the awareness of self so that one's full attention, voice, and body are available as resources for interpreting the text in its reading. Abandonment has to do with a reader's ability to employ and judge the effect of performance techniques. Experienced performers learn that what may seem to the performer like exaggerated levels of technique are actually perceived by listeners as being just right. So here's an example that the author gives. In learning to read slowly, the inexperienced reader might feel that he or she is proceeding at a preposterously slow pace, but the listener might perceive the pace to be too fast. So it's important for us to realize that we can take our time in what we say. I need to realize that more as a communicator myself. Even as I read that, I'm finding myself slowing down a little bit more with my speech, being a little more thoughtful, a little more reflective about what I say. The slower we go, hopefully the less we will say things like, uh, which I am terrible at, and I just admit it. You know, you listen to the show, I'm always going, and, um, uh... And it gets old, especially if you have become in tune to that when somebody is saying, uh, all the time. It kind of drives you nuts. So we want to possess a capacity for abandonment and learning how to read slower and adjusting ourselves in spite of the concerns that we have in our own lives and we can give full attention, voice, and body to the resource of interpreting the text. The last one is, I don't know if it's the most important one or not, but it's probably the one that stood out to me the most. And I think it's probably a good place for us to start wrapping up the podcast today on. It applies to scripture reading, but it applies to so many other things in our Christian walk as well, too. This is it, number eight. The lector should be transparent in the reading. And what the author is meaning by transparent may not mean exactly what you're thinking when you hear the word transparent, so let me elaborate just a little bit using the author's words. The prophets wrote their oracles 
in the voice of God. Uh, and that's a key thing. The prophets were not bringing their own message. The prophets were bringing the words of God. The prophets wrote their oracles in the voice of God. The gospel writers recorded the words of Jesus and other characters. They weren't recording their own words. The psalmist wrote in many voices. Look at the psalms sometimes. You'll see that. The reader of these texts should be as hidden in their presentations of them as the authors are in writing them. Think about that. When you are reading from the Bible, you're really not thinking about the person that wrote it very much. You might, in a preliminary sort of way, and you might try to think through it. Who was the author? What did they mean? What was their background? What are they bringing to the table when they come to this passage? But when the stories are being told, uh, probably you're focusing in on the story itself because the text is written not to tell you about the author. The text is written to tell you the story, right? The prophets are writing not to tell you what the prophets think. The prophets are writing to tell us, thus says the Lord. The psalmists in writing in these many, many voices are not writing only to, um, to tell you the thoughts of their mind. They're theologically teaching us how to approach God and how to pray to God and how to sing to the Lord. And so we are um, hearing words that are not simply words of human origin. God's word needs to be heard. Our word, our opinion, our personality, those things don't necessarily need to be heard. This is so important, and as I hear it, I, I find it to be a convicting thing because I always want to present myself well on a time when I'm leading, um, and yet I want to get out of the way. You know, part of the struggle of, um, well, let's, let's just talk about like next week. It's not happened yet, but I've been invited to come and sing at the National Worship Leader Convention, as you heard earlier in the show, and... I have to admit, part of me wants to go, wow, I I think that's going to be a cool thing. It's such a rare opportunity, and I'm going to be up on the platform with Paul Balash and these world-famous songwriters and worship leaders and people who have just an amazing amount of talent. And part of me wants to say, wow, won't people think I'm so cool for being up there? It probably sounds silly to even hear that, but, you know, that ego side of me I just realize that's a part of me that's there. And I have to be willing, just as the lector in this final point, I need to be willing to be transparent. And by transparent, I don't just mean uh, allowing people to see what's deep inside of me. Transparent meaning that we almost become invisible so that the Lord can bring His words through us. And so maybe as I even say that, you know, that'd be a good prayer request for me to ask everyone who hears that is not only me, but many of us as we get up to lead on Sunday mornings, there is a real temptation to grab that and say, this is mine. And I'm going to take this opportunity to present something of mine to this congregation. And that's not true. We are not presenting something of ours. We are using our gifts to present something of God's. And 
hopefully that is an, an important distinction that we will learn before we step on a platform, that we may have some talent that God has provided to us, but we are not presenting our talent. We are presenting the words of God as we come together. And so this applies to the scripture reader. The scripture reader doesn't need to be heard. The word of God needs to be heard. This applies to the musicians. The musicians don't need to be heard. The word of God needs to be heard through the musicians. This applies to our to our opinions and our personalities. The pastor's opinion and personality doesn't need to be heard in the sermon. God's word needs to be heard in that sermon. God's opinion and God's personality needs to shine through. And so in sharing this week about the public reading of Scripture, I hope that you see how it applies to many areas of our lives. Hopefully we can see that last area, which to me has has made me think more than any other kind this past week in reading it. The idea of transparency, that we would almost become invisible so that God can be seen and lived through us. That's not a platform thing either. That's not just for people who take the platform. It's for those of us who live our lives every day. You know, our families are going to hear our voices. Our families are going to hear our opinions. Our families are going to see our personalities. They're, it's going to be the same with our friends. It's going to be the same with our co-workers. But our desire and our hope is that the Holy Spirit will so work through our lives that it will not be our words that are ultimately heard when we speak, but it would be the words of God speaking through us that we would be so devoted to being His people that that would just happen. As I think about that and what that means, I think I want to close with a story that I know I shared, and I even just shared it a couple weeks ago on the podcast we did with Stephen Tobolowsky. But I really feel like it's an important thing to share in this idea of transparency. If you heard it, bear with me or fast forward to the end of the podcast. If you haven't heard it, um, then then maybe hear it now for the first time. Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, you know, he's passed away probably 10 years or so, uh, maybe more than 10 years ago now. But I read this book about Mr. Rogers and, you know, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I grew up watching that on PBS. And Mr. Rogers was a really devoted Christian, and he spent a lot of time um, cultivating that personality, not only on television, but that gentle, I would say even Christ-like personality he portrayed on screen, he cultivated through a life of spiritual disciplines to be that person off screen as well. I read a book called The Simple Faith of Mr. Rogers, which was um, written and and by a person who worked with Mr. Rogers, and there was a lot of different accounts and testimonies by friends and people who interacted with Mr. Rogers. And they said that he was more Mr. Rogers off the screen than he was on the screen. And it was no accident because he really cultivated that life. And he would pray this prayer before he went on his show. And from what it says in the book, he prayed it before every show. He'd say, Lord, let some word that is heard be yours. And I have tried to make that my own prayer whenever I take platforms. Uh, if I can remember it before I go out there, my mind goes so many different places. 
but it's important that we cultivate that type of transparency, that we would allow our words to not be our words, but that God would speak through them. And God will do it in whatever way God decides He will do it. It doesn't necessarily have to be what we hear. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will interpret those words for other people with what they needed to hear. One of my favorite stories in that book about Mr. Rogers, The Simple Faith of Mr. Rogers, which, by the way, I need to do a podcast on that soon. Um, one of my favorite stories in that books, book is... Actually, there's several stories of, of people who were in a desperate place and they turned on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood just by a fluke, not even realizing that it was on. They just kind of were turning on the TV. And there's one story in particular of a lady that was so addicted to drugs and so desperate and found themselves in this little sleazy hotel room and was just high and was was praying to die and just needed uh, some help and had no help and turned on the television set and there was Mr. Rogers and she talks about it being like God himself spoke through the screen and gave her a message of hope and helped her to get clean and it was sort of that moment in that hotel room hearing the words of Mr. Rogers this word of love and acceptance and being told that you are special that you are a person who has worth and value um, whatever it was that Mr. Rogers said that day uh, she eventually met him years later as she had cleaned up her life. And she came up to Mr. Rogers and said, you know, I was watching the show that you did and you know, I was high on drugs and you said this and you said this and you said this and when you said that it just really spoke to me. And Mr. Rogers knew he had not said any of those things that she had said, <laughs> that he that she heard him say. But Mr. Rogers said to her, well, that was the Holy Spirit interpreting my words to tell you the words that you needed to hear. And I thought that was beautiful because Mr. Rogers just didn't step up and take credit and say, oh yeah, I said those things. He he knew he didn't say those things. And I thought, how many times have pastors heard from lay people, uh, you know, after a sermon, oh pastor, when you said this, it was fantastic and it spoke right to my heart. And the pastor's thinking, I never said that. What are they talking about? I think there are times that through our transparency to allow the Lord just to do His work through us, and even if we don't allow it, God will do His work that He's going to do. Um, the Lord will speak His words to His people. And may God give us courage to be transparent enough, whether it is in the Scripture reading, whether it is in our music, whether it is in the public, um, the, the sermon, whether it's even in announcement times on Sunday mornings. Uh, our gathering, our communion times, may we be transparent enough to allow the words of the Lord to be heard, uh, the personality of the Lord to be experienced, the presence of the Lord to be felt. And if that means that our presence is not felt, if our words are not heard, if our personality is not seen, then that's okay. Because what we want to do is not lift up us, and ourselves, and our ego, we want to lift up God. And so, giving attention to the public reading of Scripture, um, I would encourage all of you, if, if you have a chance, check out this book, Public Reading of Scripture. I'm going through it slowly. I'm thankful to my friend Chad Harvey for pointing me to this book. I think there's a lot for us to chew on that we are not always thinking about, especially if you're a pastor and you're trying to think about how to incorporate more Scripture into your worship times and trying to help your congregation 
um, develop readers who have a gift and a calling to do it, I think you're going to find it to be a very valuable tool. I hope you've enjoyed it today. I enjoyed kind of getting to do a synopsis and a walkthrough of the first chapter. Uh, I don't want to give much more away, but it's a it's a very worthwhile book. And I think if uh, if you're someone who uh, is interested in the topic, you should order the book. And if you're a pastor who's interested in this, order the book, Public Reading of Scripture by Clayton J. Schmidt. I think you're going to find it very valuable and something that you will return to in years to come, maybe years and years and years to come. Well, that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening to Voices in My Head. I uh, I hope that we will have some, some guests on next week as I am at the National Worship Leader Podcast. Uh, podcast, National Worship Leader Conference. Um, I have been speaking and, and trying uh, to book some more guests here in the future. Um, it's been hard to top Stephen Tobolowsky. That was one of my favorites, maybe my favorite episode ever. Um, but I do have several other guests that are waiting in the wings to come on the show. We're just trying to coordinate schedules to be able to do that. We've got some great musicians. We've got some authors. I'm hoping to get a few more actors on. Um, we've got some theologians lined up. It's just a matter of coordinating with their schedules, and in summertime it gets busy. So uh, if I can't get a guest, I'm I'm committed. I want to try to do episodes like this on weeks where we don't have a guest, and I'll be sharing with you some of the voices that are in my head, and I'm going to keep doing that. Thank you for listening, and I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your week. God bless you. Thank you for joining me here this week on the Voices in My Head podcast. I hope you'll visit me on my website at rickleyjames.com, follow me on Twitter at rickleyjames, like my artist page on Facebook at facebook.com slash rickleyjames, and keep up to date on what I'm writing at my author page on amazon.com. Make sure to follow my calendar on the website, and if you would like to have me come to your town to do a concert, a speaking engagement, or a book event, you can book me through my website by clicking on the link for Pair Booking Agency. That's P-A-R-E Booking. And finally, it would mean the world to me if you were to leave me a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews that we receive, the more visible this podcast is on the internet. And now the benediction. May the God of peace, who raised Christ from the dead, strengthen your inner being for every good work. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest upon you and dwell within you this day and forevermore. Amen.